Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. If you'll take out your Bibles or the Pew Bible or pull up the Bible app on your phone, whichever you prefer, but if you will turn with me to Luke chapter 19. We're reading verses 28 through 40, so join with me there. After Jesus said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem, and as he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here, and if anyone asks you, why are you untying it, say this, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them, and as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And they replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he replied to them, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. My friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, we gather worshiping and praising you remembering that day that you rode on as a king. You rode in a town on a donkey, reminding us that you are king of our lives. So as we have waved our branches, as we have sung our hosannas, as we have proclaimed you as king, may those words not just be mere words, but they may be how we live as doers of your words. All this we ask in your holy name. Amen. Have you ever gotten caught up in something, just, just caught up in the motion, the moment, and the emotion of it, the excitement of it? It was just so exciting, like a parade or a celebration or a party, where you were just so caught up in all the energy that you found yourself doing things that you might never have done before, chanting and singing and playing along, just, just all just unselfconsciously fully embraced the moment. Ever that happened to you? I suspect it probably has. One of the places where I see this happen a lot of times is uh, in baseball parks. Now, baseball just started uh, last week, major league season on Thursday. Uh, the minor league season started here on Friday. And if I were to ask Reed to play this on the organ, no, 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 you would say what? <laughs> That's the best you got. Okay. Come on, go for it. Why not? 
Or maybe if you went to say, you know, Fenway Park, and there's always a guy at Fenway Park down around the third baseline, he stands up and turns around behind his section and he goes, red! And of course, you know, everybody falls right after him. As soon as he does it, the, on the other side, on the first base side, the whole other side yells, socks. And this goes on for hours, you know, it seems like. Or maybe if I convince those of you on the front of the row here to try this, if I just looked at you and said, come on, let's do it. And you all stood up and did this. You know what would happen, right? At first, everybody think they've lost their mind. And they would say, let's do it again. And you would do it, and the second row would do it, and the third row, and before you know it, all the way, all the way back to where James Bland is sitting, everybody would be standing up, and they would think, oh my goodness, centenary's gone Pentecostal. <laughs> but you're caught up in the moment, right? I mean, that's the beauty of some of these things, the parades and stuff, you get caught up in it. You don't even know why you're chanting sometimes. You don't know all the words or you don't understand why we're doing what we're doing. I mean, really, who understands the wave? But it happens in ballparks and stadiums. And later you ask yourself, wow, I got caught up in that, right? I'm excited. But is that me? So this morning, we remember Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. We read Luke's account, and it's this rich imagery throughout that whole short section. Throughout those 12 verses, there's this rich imagery. First, you've got the whole idea of the cult. I mean, I love that line, the Lord requires it. I mean, think about this. Every time this comes up, whenever we're thinking about things that we're going to do in church, and we go to ask people, you know, we always kid around and joke, like, well, look, if they say no, just tell them the Lord requires it. The reality behind it is, is that it was a reminder to us, this whole use of the unridden cult. That God has a need for each and every one of us. And part of that need is simply that we are to carry Jesus, just like the donkey did, that we are to carry Jesus into the world to those who have never met him, never heard of him, don't know his love. Or then you've got the disciples, you know, the disciples, Jesus, not, you know, he's, he sort of pulled to some side, these two, and he said, now look, I want you to go and I want you to find this donkey that's, you know, not been ridden. I want you to untie it, bring it to me. I mean, he's basically sanctioning horse thievery, if you will, but these two don't even question it, right? He says, just go, you'll find it, untie it. If anyone asks you, tell them the Lord requires it, it'll all be fine. That is the craziest mission to send two people out on, and yet they did it, didn't they? Those two disciples trusted Jesus with what seemed impossible and improbable. Do we do that? When God calls us and asks us, when God compels us to do something that we don't even want to do, how often do we just do like the disciples and just go and do it? Chances are we like to put the brakes something up. Ah, you got somebody else in mind. You, you. Call my cousin. Something like that. But then there's the latter part of this. There's the crowd that happens. You know, they start laying their coats on the road before Jesus, and pretty soon they're shouting, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. It started small, and then it grew. At first, it was just the entourage, the disciples, and then it was the crowd. It started out with shouts, and then it was a roar, so much so that it unnerved the Pharisees that they said, Jesus, make them stop. I love his lines. 
even if I could silence their lips, the rocks are cried. In other words, it is going to come out of them either way. They're going to proclaim what they're proclaiming. Now think about the crowd. Do they realize what they were saying or were they just caught up in the moment? Did they mean their words or were they just echoing what they were hearing? We could ask the same question to us as we remember that ride that Jesus made in Jerusalem, as we watched the children and as we waved our palm branches. We could ask ourselves those same questions as we remember this. Did Jesus make a triumphant entry into our hearts? And it's in that moment of introspection when we ask that question, they are really asking two deeper, dare say even maybe more meddlesome questions. The first is, what does it mean for Jesus to be king of my life? And the second one is this. Is Jesus king of every aspect of my life? See, we start to ask those questions, we begin to delve into our relationship with God, and we begin to really determine, were we caught up in the parade waving our branches too, or when we shouted, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, that we're saying he's my king as well. And are those words, our words, so much so that even if they were to silence our lips, that the world would know who our king is by the very actions of our lives, because those words seep out of us by every being that we are. See, this concept of a king is a little troublesome for us as Americans, right? And we go all the way back to the Revolutionary War. You know, we didn't like King George. We didn't like being ruled by England. And so we rebelled. And that was the whole reason why the Revolutionary War was fought. We've got that on one hand. But then on the other hand, there is this tabloid fascination still to this day with the royal family, right? We still want to know what's happening with, you know, Kate and William and Harry and the gang. We want to know what's going on. All of these things. I mean, we're so out of this desire. I mean, that's part of what we find out with genealogy. People are looking in their ancestors. They want to know where they come from. They're hoping to find that somewhere in there, there's a little bit of a bloodline that's royal. So we can say, hey, look, I'm a descendant of the king of Bohemia. Like that'll get you anything. Might get you a cup of coffee with our Moravian friends, but that's about it. This whole idea of royalty... Maybe our fascination with it a little bit is this whole thought that what we really want subliminally is we want a king. We want a king who rules above all of humanity. We want a king who cares truly for his people. We want a king who protects and who aids people to prosper and reach their full potential and thrive. We want a king who gives us an identity, a special identity, if you will. A king whose heart is full of love and joy and peace. And so as disciples were shouting on the road, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, they were announcing to all the world that such a king exists, that he's right here on the donkey coming into Jerusalem. Pay attention, look around. He is a king and his kingdom is one that is ruled of love, peace, and joy. We think about this idea of Christ as a king. I mean, he's a king over all creation. He turned water into wine. He could walk on water. He calmed the storms. He healed the sick. He declared that all authority in heaven and earth had been given and entrusted to him. He could hold his own 
with any of the religious and political leaders of his time and not at all be diminished. He cared and he loved and he protected his flock. Remember, he said, I am the good shepherd and the sheep know my voice. Meaning that in our darkest hours, when he calls out to us, we clearly hear his love for us. He weeped over Jerusalem as he realized their fate of what was coming, that they were still not the people yet that God wanted them to be. But he even did one other thing. He took the pen and he drew the circle wide. He said to each and every one of us, you belong in the family. No matter what makes you different, no matter what difference you have with anyone else, you are good enough just the way you are. He had a heart full of love and joy. And even as the whole world turned against him, remember he stood on the, he was hanging on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He is the one who gave us our identity, called us children of God, each of us. We wanted a bloodline to be proud of, but we've got it, children of God. So if we look at the scope of his ministry, his very being, he is the king of kings, the Lord of lords. And so his disciples and his followers of them, when we declare him as our king at our baptism or our confirmation, or if we took a profession of faith as adults, then we are confessing Jesus as our Lord and Savior, that he is our king. But it's one thing to call him our king. It's another to let him be king of our lives. This is where the rubber meets the road, if you will. Is he really the king of each aspect of how you and I live our daily life? I mean, in one way, this is the journey of faith question. In other sense, if you want to break it down, it's the Lent question. It's what we're supposed to be pondering over the seven weeks of Lent. But guess what, friends? It's even the question that we ponder this week, the holiest week of the year. Is Jesus king over every aspect of our lives? Now, we can sort of do a proof text on this to see if we get an idea to get some sort of an indicator. If we just look at some of the books and some of the things that are around us in our lives. I mean, we can look at our calendar, we can look at our checkbook, we can look at our address book or a contacts list if you got rid of the address book years ago. Um, we can look at our social media posting. We can look at sort of the papers that we carry with us back and forth to work. We could even look at this one book, our Bible. We think about it, we look at our calendar, it's really about how we spend our time, right? It's really what we give ownership to. So if you took an honest look at your calendar this week, if you went home tonight, this afternoon, you took your calendar out, and you started flipping through the pages last week and the weeks before, the months, you started thinking about the week ahead, how much time do we really spend worshiping God? How much time do we really spend in faith formation, in spiritual growth? How much time do we spend in Christian community? I don't mean just getting together with friends who you know go to church and therefore they're your Christian friends. I'm talking about really being Christian with each other. Supporting each other. Caring for each other. Talking about church to see what each other heard so that you grow together in your faith. Bringing out the best in each other. Crying on each other's shoulders when one of you is suffering. 
How much time do we spend serving God? See, we start to look at it, we add it up and we look at all the time that we've been given. Maybe we might realize that we need to spend more time with God. And if we're tempted to say, I don't know, but it's really hard to do, then maybe we have a little bit of an answer of what is Lord of our time. Is it God or is it something else? Or maybe we can take a look at our checkbook. You know, this is tax season. And always when I get my taxes back, I just, I'm like everyone else. I grumble about paying taxes. I mean, they're a necessary evil. They do good work. It's for the common good. But what I'm always reminded when I get my return and I look at it is I see truly how blessed I am. But then I open my checkbook and see what did I do with those blessings? Because they're not mine. They're blessings from God. They're gifts from God. Every bit of what that return says is a gift to me from God. And what did I do with it? What comes to mind is this image that years ago someone taught me. He said, imagine the blessings in life are 10 apples right in front of you. The Lord says, these are yours. I give this all to you. And all I ask for you in return is what? At the least one apple back. That means we get to keep nine of them. We get to keep 90% of the blessings to use them for life. But what do we do with that one apple? Do we give it back as God hopes and asks? Or do we give just a sliver? Who is the Lord, the king of our checkbook? Or look at our social media post. How much time do we spend on social media? What is it that we post? Do we post things that glorify God? Do we celebrate the goodness that God has given us? Or do we spend time saying things on Facebook that we might not say to each other's faces? Now think about that for a minute. Do we say things that would break the heart of God? Or think about work. Think about all the things that we do at work, all the paper that's around you, whether it's your resume or whether it's your evaluations or your project sheets and your management and the stuff that you're doing. Think about the people that you work with, your co-workers, your protégés. Do we invest in the people around us? Do we do the work that God calls us to do? Do we work in ways Monday through Friday that reflect who we are on Sunday? That tells us a little bit about who is king of our life. We'll look at that address list or that contact list. Those friendships that we have, do we really invest in those? Do we spend time growing closer with each other, checking each other, seeing how each other is, really caring about each other, not just the flipping, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing fine and not really unpacking it beyond that. Do we really invest in the people around us in love and care? Who is the Lord of our friendships? And then there's this book. Is it covered with dust? Is it a holy relic like you might find in a rare book room? Or is it more like a child's favorite stuffed animal, worn and tattered, from use and study. See, that tells us a little bit about how much Christ is king of our lives. The joy of Lent, if you will, the joy of Holy Week is that we have this moment to remember who it is that we serve and who we're called to follow, but we have this time to also recognize how well we're doing along the way. It's time to sort of measure up, if you will. It's time to take sort of a statistical review of how are we doing? What do the metrics say? 
But here's the beauty of this week. As Christ rode in Jerusalem on a donkey, as the disciples hollered out, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, it was reminded to all of who Jesus is and who he wants to be in our lives. And so if we're not hitting the marks we want to hit, that's the beauty of his grace and his love, is that we can change our ways and that we can be the people he wants us to be. So as we think about that triumphant entry, as we think about what we sang just a few minutes ago, as we think about Jesus on a donkey coming into Jerusalem, we are in the crowd. We're a part of the parade. We're shouting Hosanna. Do we get caught up in the words or are those words our words? Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. May his peace and glory reign forever. Friends, I hope those are our words, that we're not just caught up in the motion. And that we live them in such a way that even if our mouths were silent, the world would know who our king is, who we follow, because of the way we live our lives. So let us go forth this day, following that king on a donkey, proclaiming the good news. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast for Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you will consider joining us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 or 11 a.m. Blessings. Blessings.